Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. Beverly Price is an award-winning and internationally acclaimed jeweler. She trained in Israel and London and has completed a postgraduate fine art studies at Fitz University. It was in Israel that she first became interested in goldsmithing while attending lectures at the Bezalel Art School. Considered an African artist, her work is exhibited internationally. She blends Western art styles with her love and knowledge for Africa. She recently auctioned her Cosa Mandela neck piece through Aspire. She joins me now to tell me more. Bev, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Bev, you've got this incredibly beautiful um, art piece that you've just plopped on the table here. And it's the Mandela necklace. What's the history to this necklace? Uh, let's see. Um, <laughs> Big context. I uh, invented a method of making jewelry when I lived at Ikopo, Ikopo in KwaZulu Natal for a couple of years, foiling images. And um, I went back to Vitz in 2000, 2001, and I was encouraged to work in larger form, larger adornment forms. And, um, and it was, in fact, Natalie Knight that I met through the Chagall exhibition. Uh, and um, she had this idea that um, I should make a Nelson Mandela neck piece, which referenced the um, original neck piece that Mandela had worn in this image that Ella Weinberg, Ellie Weinberg had taken around the time of Mandela's sentencing of him wearing, <coughs> excuse me, an Itumbu necklace, a cross right. necklace. So, um, yeah, the history of the piece was that I became quite overwhelmed by this sort of honor. I was really in awe of um, making it. It took me a while to get going and then a long time to get permission from the DTI um, as he was considered a, a heritage object. Right. And uh, the, the permission was restricted to use the images, but I did get it eventually. And then I made the piece. Um, it, it was originally commissioned by the Royal Ontario Museum in Canada, um, they decided that they didn't want it when it was completed and Natalie decided to buy it. So, um, in fact, it was, um, she was the last owner of, of the, of the neck piece. So it has been auctioned now, but just before mm. we go, because mm. I, I'm fortunate enough to have the piece in front of me in this incredibly beautiful book, but I wonder if you could just describe the layers and the, the images on the piece just to create an idea of what we're talking about. Well, sure. Um, the the reason for taking taking it into a, a piece of jewellery, uh, well, the context of that is that I, I do work across um, the, the sort of the hybrid interface between Western traditional goldsmithing and Indigenous South African adornment objects. That's been my challenge, um, and so uh, I appropriated uh, an original uh, itumbu. Uh, which I'd seen clearly in the picture, but also from the Witz Art Galleries. Um, and the traditional colors are pink, white, and blue that Gossip people like. It's kind of d- dusty color. Um, so the images are a con- concentric chronology uh, radiating from the neck to the edge of the neck piece, meaning that, um, you know, the form of a, of, a, of a beaded neck piece, a traditional beaded neck piece, this is my bead units are images, really, little phonemes, phonemes as I call them, mm. uh, radiating from the neck to the edge. Um, 
is a, a sequence of his of his life in in, Im- in images as a history, if you like. And um, with each row, uh, there is a different period of his life, uh, and um, each row, in fact, constitutes or comprises its own pattern. So there's a rhythm to the pictures within each row that is going crossways <laughs> laterally and then coming down towards the edge. Um, you know, there is this uh, chronology. How long did it take you to make this? A long time. <laughs> from the, the from conception? Oh, it took me six months to make. The actual making. The actual yeah. making. Yeah. And from no, the conception the of the idea to the... Uh, well, I mean, just getting over the awe and, um, you know, th- I'd say from... I was actually asked, I think it was like around 2000 and... 2003 or four. It took me maybe about two or three years to actually get it, you know, out there. But then it's it's had like huge... It's been. <laughs> I said it's own history. Well, it's just gone out there. I mean, it's it's been shown. I don't know if you want to mention this, but uh, this book is a catalogue from the Museum of Art and Design. It's been shown at the Museum of Art and Design in New York, I think, five times, oh. and it featured in many, many catalogues and books. Um, I mean, clearly, I had to get. Uh, I need to just preempt and say I had to get permission to use the images from the Bailey archives and also from Jürgen Schaderberg with whom I worked very closely, him and his wife, making uh, some years back ranges of Mandela jewellery. But, yeah, so it's, it's got quite a provenance, this piece. So the piece has, you say, a, a lot of provenance. Um, it's been long in the making. Do you know where the piece is now? Do you know who owns it? Okay, so this is <laughs> hugely interesting for me. It's the first time I've ever had work auctioned. And um, I, I, started, I followed the auction from beginning to end. A spy auctioned it. They're divine to work with. And um, so, how does it work? Is it how we see it in the movies? You know, everybody sits around with a yeah, a piece well, of paper that they hold up or um, whatever it is. Just, I don't know, wink or raise a <laughs> hand, and people understand the kind There's of semi- a role. the semiotics, uh, the, yeah. the, the, the visuals, <laughs> the phone, the phones are going. But pr- prior to that, there's a preview, uh, preview of, of uh, well, a day, a night we went, and it's a big like event and beautiful display. The display you can really see. We saw stunning South African contemporary art that you wouldn't see usually because it's obviously in private collections. And then the night of it was, uh, you know, there are lots and then you know, your turn comes. And a great thing, I don't have the catalogue here in front of me, but my work was on the same page as Marlene Dumas. Wow. <laughs> and I love Marlene Dumas. I gave her uh, one of my, my Mandela necklaces. She, you know, she's she's a hero to me, very inspiring. Um, but when the auction... What happens is that it, you don't know who's bought, I don't know who's bought this piece now. So you have no idea where this piece is? I don't. And you know, in Jewish terms, you know, there's the idea of hefker. So, you know, it's the, when you, it loses ownership. So in a sense, it's like it's gone out there into the ethers and. It's almost like a new beginning for it. A new beginning. And, um, you know, the, the, the woman who, who uh, took, there were, I think, three or four bids for, for the piece. Uh, the woman who took the, the bid from the person who ultimately purchased it, it they, there is apparently, you know, it's, it's a confidential thing. They're not allowed to know who, who, uh, who owns it. So, but there is, there is a possibility that should it be ex- required for an exhibition again, I, I can, I can call it up. So I don't know how that, that's, that will work. But yeah, it's just this uh, situation of, of sort of living in a healthcare situation of not knowing who owns your piece. But fine, but, you know, it's not mine anymore. The death of the author, as, as Bart would say. Um, Beverly, so you, you mentioned right at the beginning that you, you lived in Gopo, and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing no, it. forgive me too. <laughs> 
for three years. Yeah. How did you find yourself there? I mean, what journey took you to Ignoble? Mm. I came back to South Africa from living in Israel for in London actually for 13 years and it was 95 and um, well, in li- living in oh. Israel and London doing oh. creating jewelry. Uh, I I left I lived in Israel to no in Israel now I worked at a different profession. Okay. And should I say it? Yeah. Should I talk? You can. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I worked as a speech therapist and then I worked um, for the IUA actually in Israel. And, um, and then I decided to retrain as a carpenter and, um, worked for the net and then decided it's not feminine enough. And, <laughs> and then trained in Israel as a jeweler. And then I went to London for three years to learn jewelry. And then came back to Israel for another two years, shared a workshop with, an, with another five jewelers. And, um, and then I decided to come back to South Africa. There was post Mandela and with parent stuff to do. And so I came back and didn't think I'd stay all this time, but I have. And, the, that's critical because coming back to Joburg, although it was post-apartheid, it, it still felt hectically apartheid. It just felt thick with apartheid, Joburg, certainly. And, and I, I had this opportunity to go have my studio in Iklopo. And, um, and so I went and it was, it was a, a center actually, um, next to a little village called, um, Kubin. And, um, uh, there it was great. I mean, I really, I really felt my archetypal African experience despite having been 27 when I left South Africa. So it was hugely impactful on my work, hugely. Yeah. And from there, I mean, then obviously you were exposed to Zulu traditional yeah. art. But oh, it probably wasn't described as directly. art then, or not? Just the living. Just the living. So I think you, I think you just, you just sort of, in Hebrew you say linshom, you have to breathe it in. You take it in. And, and it just becomes like, you inculcate it in yourself, you know, uh, just that environment, the language, concepts, how people behave, um, cu- uh, culture, traditions, so much that's so similar to us as Jews, you know, that we have long traditions, respected traditions. Um, and I loved that about it. And it's just, it's just, brought a different kind of humility and understanding of, you know, what it was to be raised by a black person in South Africa during apartheid, just different. You know, you, you, you take, it was like an actualization really of, of something that I had experienced as a child. So yeah, I, I, it was a, a, a critical experience in re-entry to South Africa. Amazing. And uh, the upshot is, besides the art, is when you go to pick and pay, at least you can greet people and say please and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not fluent, is that what you're saying? You're not yet I, fluent. I can, I can have a hum- conversation. I have humor. I can have a conversation. Okay. I can be polite. That's really, you really know. great. <laughs> but the, the, when we talk about the art, and you said it was a definitive mm. moment in your yeah. life and just imbibing the culture around you, we look at South African art, and I don't think there is something as South African art because it's so diverse. But you took what was traditional art and meshed it with kind of Western um, forms. How was that? This is a very moving thing for me. Uh, you know, so it comes from some kind of core place of a value system. So I think where we come from as Jews is is that we have a heritage. And then you see uh, this kind of, in Hebrew you say, Chavayama Takenet, a corrective experience, where you see other people's true heritage. And this deep respect, and it's, if you like, it's even not consciously an amends, but it's kind of melding an identity. So I'm strongly Jewish, and I'm strongly South African. And Zionist. And Zionist, and Israeli. 
So, you know, somehow it all has to conflate somehow. And, and, and then, you know, it, 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 it has manifested in my work. The challenge has been, and, uh, you know, it, it's not, not just my challenge. I mean, my colleagues, my jewelry art colleagues, we've all had this challenge of finding a South African aesthetic, you know, which, because, uh, it's particularly South African craft and, uh, you know, beadwork particularly was, mm. was always denigrated and seen as tribal work and kept in, uh, the ethnographic, yeah, ethnographic museum. museum. <laughs> so the, the huge irony was this uh, this geographical relocation from from um, the Museum of Natural History in the gardens to South African National Gallery and in so in relocating was reclassified and we use all the apartheid language uh, as fine art so you know it, it, it's uh, it's it's all part of our his- history to um, well okay, let me just continue with this other point um, and so it's been a, a, a sort of secondary mission when I in my work is to is to make people proud of their heritage. So it's a self-esteem thing. Uh, you know, uh, living in Israel, um, I became aware of people who, who were second generation, of course, Holocaust kids. And um, there's some shame around why my parents allowed this to happen to, allowed this to have it happen to themselves. Some kind of similarity I've experienced with, with children you know, colleagues that I've met part of it, and they all go in my field they go for bling it's New York it's gold shiny sparkly and what about your own heritage and so I hug them about Mapungubwe the pre-colonial gold of southern Africa you know indigenous adornment objects and um, people must be proud people must be very proud if you're proud you're going to be envious you know so yeah, that's um, a little bit about <laughs> this work. <laughs> and going forward, how do you see mm. your art developing? Yeah, um, I, I seem to have, not by choice, but um, UJ and Victoria University have asked me to do some workshops for them. I, I'm wearing a necklace that um, represents really uh, something Different. It's 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 a it's urgent adornment. So I'm, again, I'm yeah. lucky that I can <laughs> see the, the necklace and it's very beautiful. But do you want to describe it? Well, it's very busy. <laughs> so it's got like about ten different necklaces on one single long strand. And in fact, it, uh, and it's bright. It's kind of like I see lots of yellows and orange and, and it's blue. This, uh, I, I have this uh, idea of urgent adornment. So which is that when you see, for example, in the Witz Art Gallery. Uh, galleries, um, lipotto, a, a wedding apron or a, um, wedding cape made from a plastic tablecloth. So there was some urgency. The object had to be made, and this was the material that was available, whether it was financial constraints or the fact that you lived urban or that you couldn't get leather, you know. But you, you made, you made do with what was available. And so firstly, this, well, this, uh, this improvisa- improvisational innovation, innovative capacity of indigenous, indigenous people. You know, um, to to make the object, nevertheless. So there's an urgency. I think there's something that does characterise um, South African adornment objects, which are integrous as well. Of course, huge integrity. Um, but the work is um, my my workshops have been about taking jewellers who are very focused on being professional goldsmiths, and um, and working with the traditional precious, intrinsically precious materials. Uh, and then challenging them to work with basically junk, forage, to forage for a week in advance of the workshop, find these bits, things that sparkle, that shine, that they find on the floor in the street, stamped out bottle tops, who knows, 
and bring them to the workshop. And then they have three hours to make a necklace and make an object, make an adornment object. And what was yielded, you cannot imagine. This creativity, the objects. So uh, we did that at UJ. It was hugely successful. And I'll do one at Victoria University this year. And then, yeah, and then, yeah, the other thing is also about the being the ambassador for contemporary jewelry in South Africa for this American organization. Amazing. But advocating for Israel. That was critical. For four years, they didn't choose somebody. They had chosen China, Iran, and Egypt, and them. And three months ago, four months ago, they chose a guy from B'Tselel, Ariel Lavian. And so there is a happily ever after story. <laughs> and I've hacked you one hell of a lot today. <laughs> you. Yeah, Bev, Bev, it's incredible the work that you do. And I think it must be really enriching to work in the in the field of creativity, in the field of beauty, and, you know, touching minerals that are from the earth and creating something that for all of us is so unique. You know, when I think back on Earliest Man and the, and the sand Bushmen, they made ostrich eggshells and adorned themselves with that. So we have this almost innate desire that is part of our humanity to create something beautiful. And for you to be kind of living the dream of doing that is Unbelievably lucky and, well, with a, a huge dose of talent. So, well done. Thank you, Shuri. So, <laughs> I, I say, I think, you know, it is. It's this language, there's music, and there's adornment. Yeah. We have as human beings, you know, and particularly in Africa, I think we've been bypassed, not enough yeah. emphasis on South Africa particularly. Including la- language, dance, and adornment. Yeah, both sides of the brain, whichever way you look at it these <laughs> days, you know, it's... um yeah. So thank you so much for coming in. Before you, you go, is there any contact details you'd like to leave that anybody who wants to see your art mm. or be in touch with you or learn more about your workshops can do so? Yeah, look, that's very generous of you. <laughs> and thank you. So, yeah, you could email me. Uh, I have a, a cute email address, limegreenrhino at gmail.com. So it's all one word, limegreenrhino at gmail.com. And um, that's a good beginning. I have a Facebook page. Yeah. Thank so, you. Thank you very much. That was um, award-winning jeweler Beverly, Beverly Price sharing information about her work. And from one form of art to another.